Hello and welcome to Box On Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, so incredibly proud to be your mom, Steele. And I'm Jade. Danger! Danger! My hooks are flailing wildly, Rose. <laughs> and we are back! Hello! Yes. Hi! Thank you for bearing with us when we uh, had a week off. Scheduling and real life has proven to be somewhat nightmarish. Just like many things in the world right now, quite frankly, uh, <laughs> on reflection. Um, but, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that we did put a message on our Facebook and our Twitter, but if you hadn't spotted those uh, for whatever reason, um, we are have made the decision to go to fortnightly episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, or bi-weekly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I never know whether that means twice a week or every two weeks anyway. It's the same thing with, like, bi-annual, bi-monthly. Well, like all bi-things, it's very confusing. Oh, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, we decided that with um, with life being busy and complicated, that we would rather, uh, rather than struggle to get maybe a lackluster episode out every week, we'd rather take a little bit of time and bring you, hopefully, an, an even better episode once every two weeks instead. Yeah, when we first started this podcast, um, we were in slightly different places. I mean, you didn't even really tabletop before. Uh, I genuinely can't remember what my life was like before I wasn't playing tabletop as much as I used to not play tabletop and not listen to podcasts and Mm -hmm. low. (laughs) Mm. Um, And yeah, I'm busy with secret things and press tours and. Being yeah. a published author and one of the Guardian's people to look out for. It's very <laughs> exciting. That that came out way more condescending and sarcastic than it was meant to. I feel genuine pride. Oh, I mean, I used it. to, when we started this, I, I barely had a job. Mm. Um, I I worked freelancer, but um, actual, actual in-the-office jobs were few and far between. But it's looking like the next decade of my life. <laughs> I might be uh, um, all tied up with a couple of projects. Which is exciting. It is. And I can't wait to talk about them in non-vague terms. Um, <laughs> but as sad as only doing an episode once every two weeks is, it does allow us to talk about things that are a bit more topical. Because we used to um, record episodes in big chunks. And it meant mm. that sometimes three weeks later... We were putting out an episode that wasn't quite as relevant as it was Mm -hmm. when we first recorded it. Um, So, we have a slightly new section where we're going to talk about queer and geeky news. Essentially, it's the what has Twitter been mad at this week (laughs) 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 section of the podcast. Yes. Or happy about. You know, they they have some good things. Uh, But this is sort of news that's sort of relevant to our interests and... Maybe your interests. You tune into the podcast, so I assume that there's some overlap between our listeners' yeah. interests and ours. Things that are, like I said, things that are queer and geeky, or one of them, or either, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Mm. <laughs> um, so, I guess we'll start with um, the fact that the trailer dropped for the film Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. um, the story about Queen. Yes. Um, it's had a slightly rocky development. I, I remember... Mm, it's been uh, long. This has been long. So, uh, originally it was um, a kind of Sasha Baron Cohen uh, passion project. Mm-hmm. 
um, where, you know, love them or loathe them, he was kind of born to be Freddie Mercury yes. <laughs> um, in certain in certain ways. Um, and he really wants to make this movie, but um, from his point of view, at least, um, not to be biased, I suppose, um, he said that Queen were more interested in making it more about how Queen went from strength to strength and even got even bigger after Freddie's death. (laughs) Um, And I think part of the thing is that unlike a lot of biopic Mm. sort of films, um, this is very much controlled by Queen, who still see themselves as a very relevant rock group, which is fair enough. They do still do sell-out tours um, with... Mm -hmm. Uh, what's his face <laughs> as the front man? Um, oh, I can't remember. I I forget his name as well. Sorry, but, um, very good singer man. He is very very good. Um, and so I think from Sacha Baron Cohen's point of view, he wants to make this film about you know Freddie, Freddie Mercury's life, all the warts and all, I suppose. And mm. um, Queen wanted to make it more about the music and the band. Yeah, and, like, I actually do understand from their point of view that Freddie was their friend. Uh, Mm. They possibly don't see the uh, joy in sort of telling the story of their friend slowly wasting away that, I guess, the general public um, expect. Mm. Um, But this has uh, caused some people to worry... Mm. that the film will be sort of erasing parts of Freddie's life that are the reason a lot of people find him so important. Yeah. Um, I think one of the big ones was an article, I think Star Observer, released about how the movie wouldn't be touching on the AIDS epidemic, and that's the that's the thing I've seen retweeted about the most. Um, also, that article, though, is like from the pre-production period, mm. and so... I am sort of at the point where I'm just like, that trailer, which one I really enjoyed, and that mashup of Queen songs is baller. Mm, yeah. And I think they've done a great service with the casting. I think Rami Malik is going to be an amazing Freddie Mercury. For me, looking at that trailer and the fact that it's called Bohemian Rhapsody, it feels like it's going to be about the music. Mm. that's what it feels like this is a movie about. That trailer, to me, isn't going, this is a film about Freddie Mercury. This is going, this is about this band and the way their music touched people. And for me, if this was presenting itself as a pure biopic of Freddie Mercury, the fact that... And we don't know how much, I said, they're omitting the AIDS crisis. That might still be true. I know Brian Singer was attached to the project for a while and then left again over similar concerns. And it's sort of like... Okay, it's, yeah, it's complicated. And I can understand why people are just like, well, then I am not going to go see it. And it's just like, okay, it, that, and I feel that that's people's right to do so. I'm not saying, well, you should support the movie regardless because, you know, you put your money where your mouth is. Looking at the trailer, it doesn't appear to be erasing uh, Freddie's queerness. We see him interacting with both men and women, and that's something I've seen. Just like, oh, they've made Freddie straight. Just like Freddie Mercury was a bisexual man, not mm-hmm. a gay man, and that's important to recognise. The fact that they didn't cast a white actor mm-hmm. is fucking, a, 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 frankly, a relief. There is things yeah. that this movie has done or appears to have done 
right. And I will still happily go see it because I love the music of Queen. Mm. And I that looks like it's going to be a really fun movie. And it looks like it's going to be a funny movie. Like um, my partner Graham, who helps produce uh, produce the podcast, um, he's a sound engineer by trade, hence why he helps us out. And like, it's one of the few things that we're going to be able to enjoy together because mm. it has like in the Venn diagram of Jade and Graham interests. This actually sits in that little overlappy part, which is nice for us. So mm. I'm excited for it, and yeah, I'm going to be disappointed that it isn't going to be more focused on Freddie the Man. But just because there's this movie coming out about it doesn't mean that there still can't be interesting and engaging projects that look at all of Freddie's life. Yeah, I think it's just it's going to be a very different film because it's being made by Queen. It's not an unlicensed sort of sure. And I think that's that's what Sasha wants to make. Um, mm. But as as much as I get his point of view, and as much as I probably would have liked his vision, mm. you'd you don't really own the vision of someone who no. the bandmates of someone are still around. <laughs> yeah. Um, that actually comes sort of comes onto our next uh, news item when mm-hmm. we talk about um, bisexuality, because I, some people see an image of Freddie Mercury interacting with a woman and instantly think uh, queer erasure. Yeah. Um, and it's something that's really frustrating sometimes because in order to represent bisexual people, um, you have to, for some people, it's not good enough unless they are explicitly uh, seen mm. sort of dating both, well, not both, but, you know, dating. Yeah, uh, people of more than one gender. Yeah, um, which isn't really a representation of what bisexual people are in real life. Mm. Um, So on to the next topic, which is on a similar theme Mm -hmm. Um, with uh, Solo, a Star Wars story coming out, I think in the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, It features Donald Glover as Lando, which he's already getting a lot of praise for. (laughs) Uh, People are already sort of already asking for, uh, a spin-off movie of him. Yeah, we all want um, we all want the Lando movie. Let's not lie. I think in general, I think they missed a mark where mm. Han Solo is a character who makes a lot of sense if nothing interesting has happened to him until yeah. we meet him. Whereas Lando's got you can tell from when he's introduced in Empire Strikes Back, he's got you know all sorts of adventures in his backstory. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So. The film's coming out, and the uh, co-writer of the film, Jonathan, uh, blah, 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 Jonathan Kasdan, Jonathan Kasdan, who is the son of Lawrence Kasdan, who I think wrote, uh, I think he wrote some of the original trilogy. Sorry mm-hmm. for all of the Star Wars fans listening and getting everything wrong. Um, he says, and I'll quote. Uh, um, basically, he says, Lando is pansexual. He's not limited to sexual choice with regard to biological sex, gender, or gender identity. There's a fluidity to Donald and Billy D. Williams' sexuality. I mean, I would love, I would have loved to have gotten a more explicit LGBT character into the movie. I think it's time, certainly for that, and I love the fluidity, sort of the spectrum of the sexuality that Donald appears to have. 
that droids are also a part of. Um, so, so this got reported in a lot of headlines saying Lando is pansexual, says writer, mm-hmm. and Twitter responded. <laughs> yeah, um, there's been um, a lot of positivity. It's just like, woo, yay, representation. This is good. This is the sort of thing we talk about. The flip side of people going. Then there's obviously all the people going, I don't want queer people in my Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Because that part of the fun recently has been seeing all these videos talking about trying to deny the chemistry that Han and Lando have in Empire Strikes mm. Back. She's like, mm, I don't know what movie you were watching. But that's I've a, seen, that's a sorry, I've, I've seen, yeah, I've seen a, a little, um, I've read a few spoiler-free reviews of Solo, and one of the mm. things I said is, the film tries to make you believe that Han Solo and um, Amelia Clark's character have all this chemistry, but he has way more chemistry of almost anyone else in the film, <laughs> including uh-huh. Lando. Excellent. Um, um, but yeah, one of the the big things that pointed out, and this is something that uh, Hamish and I have talked about quite a lot with regards to representation, is if we don't see it in the movie, if it's sort of a blink and you'll miss it, or it's just like if straight people wouldn't notice it, then it doesn't really qualify as yeah. as representation. Um, I was about to say friend of the show. I've met Rowan a couple of times. She's lovely. We talk about her and her analysis of media a lot. Um, she has sort of started the hashtag, uh, put it in the movie, not in the press tour. Mm. And um, in it, she mentions a couple of different things. The full, and she also released an opinion piece um, on the pool.com. You can find it if you go to... Uh, Rowan's Twitter uh, at um, Hey Rowan Ellis, and just talking about this phenomenon because um, this isn't, as I said, this isn't unique to the Lando situation. We had this with oh, what was the Yellow Rangers name in the new Power Rangers movie? Uh, Trini. It, it was Trini. Okay, I was because it wasn't on the TV. I had a moment where I couldn't remember um, where she was confirmed in the press tour, and yeah, we saw it in the movie, but again one of those instances, uh, Dumbledore, after mm. the fact. Um, Craig Ferguson's character in How to Train Your Dragon. Mm. Things that are sort of talked about while on the press tour. I hesitate to use the same thing when talking about Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok, because that feels like more they did a thing and then it was cut out by the studio, so the only place they can talk about it is the press tour. Yeah. So that's a slightly muddier thing. But yes, this notion of word of God versus what we actually see in the final product is is complicated and it's frustrating. Yeah, and like this writer may have written Lando in this film, but he doesn't own the character and Lando's mm-hmm. appeared in all kinds of books and comics and games yeah. and other things. Um, so everyone that's written him in those things have he has just as much place to be word of God mm-hmm. as um, whatever. I, I think the av- like most ticket sales to a big movie like this come mm-hmm. from people who have probably seen a trailer or a poster, but ultimately have just gone to the cinema. Yeah. Um, and they will not recognize or uh, I'm being very general here, but mm-hmm. the presumed mass straight audience of a piece of media um won't really be looking for this kind of stuff. 
Whereas the press tour quotes yeah. much more appeal to the kind of obsessive geek that does read up about, you know, yeah, everything people- a, a writer. I mean, a lot of people don't really think about the fact films have writers. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and a lot of us are queer or, uh, I guess, lean a bit more to um, kind of more lefty ideas, I suppose. Yeah. So it does feel a little bit like pandering. Or, um, especially in a few of these films where people wouldn't, I guess people don't understand what the difference is between JK Rowling, sorry to always bring her up, but saying Mm. that she's, that Dumbledore is gay and it not being anywhere in the text. Um, I don't know. I, 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 but again, saying that Lando is pansexual means that, well, it is kind of represented in the film. We haven't seen the film, but Um, he's not uh, made straight if he flirts with women in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's it's we'll wait to see how it is. Um, but mm-hmm. this exactly that hashtag of put it in the film, not in the press tour. Um, press tour. Mm-hmm. I feel that a lot. Though I will say, uh, and this is always good, that even if it is just a box tick said on the press tour the fact of the matter is that knowing that we're having this performance from a black man of this sort of sexually fluid character is mm. is great like yeah the even if it's just like eschewing toxic masculinity and showing there's more than one way to portray a man that's good even if it isn't the representation we need and deserve it shouldn't be discounted for the stuff that it can do and it can be yeah, uh, I, I agree. Let's move on to something that I have no idea about, but I follow a lot of people that do know, so I've seen people talking about it. Uh, what I'm seeing called a comic skate. So, yeah, I don't know how much I'm really going to talk about this because I'm very much on the periphery, but um, again, it's a, we've done sort of three topics in a row of people mad at something. Mm. <laughs> um, We're going to end on a positive note, don't worry. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, if anyone remembers the horror that was um, Gamergate uh, a few years ago, where essentially um, game Gamergate people described it as a protest against ethical uh, games journalism or something. Mm. It's about ethics in games journalism. Yeah. Really, I guess, from my incredibly biased point of view, it feels far more I'm mad that women and queer people and people of colour are successful in the thing I like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, comics gate is almost exactly the same thing. Um, there's a particular Twitter account with the slightly confusingly titled Diversity and Comics, mm-hmm. who is, um, he's one of the big uh, comics gate sort of uh, people, yeah. Um, and if, again, a lot of it is kind of confusing. I've actually watched a couple of his YouTube videos before and found myself agreeing with certain things he was saying. Yeah. Um, but it's you realize, oh no, this isn't coming from a place of genuine sort of care, caring of the medium of comics. It's mm. I'm mad because 
for people making comics these days are, in huge quotation marks, very diverse. And it's one of these things where you realise how little diversity something needs to have before people are mad about it. So, like, comics is still an incredibly straight, incredibly white, incredibly male medium. Um, And I will be... We are talking almost entirely about the big two of DC and Marvel. um, Mm. And... I guess mainstream comics. There, there's other comics publishers involved with. Um, so we're not talking about kind of like indie comic village comics, which is a lot more my <laughs> sort of world. Mm. Um, but I think in America, people do homogenize all of comics. So even though I'm so far off the periphery, and I feel like I've only been, I've only had any kind of comics platform for about eight seconds. Yeah, I've already had like messages asking for like my opinion on it or for take a stand against this or um, whatever. So in in short, um, the Comics Gate people published a blacklist of uh, comics writers and artists to boycott. Um, Jeez. Uh, they call them um, SJW Vipers or they're trying to destroy comics with oh pointless, di- pointless diversity. But almost all of them are either women, people of colour, or queer people, or just people who are in any way left-leaning. Yeah. Um, Basically, a lot of this has to do with the fact that comics aren't doing that well. Yeah. Marvel and DC Comics don't sell as much while the films explode and become the biggest thing in the world. And those sales to the films are not translating to comic sales. Mm. And um, at the same time, both publishers... Um, DC is actually really good in the comics at the moment. They they really are um, a lot of the times ahead of the game in term, uh, before Marvel, even though their films are a bit pants. <laughs> uh, they, uh, you know, these comics, they are, they are pushing, you know, slightly more diverse teams and books that are aimed a lot more at young people or people who aren't really the old guard of comics readers. Um and a lot of the time, these comics aren't doing that well. And so, uh, comics gate people are blaming diversity for the reason comics aren't doing very well. Mm. Um, ignoring all the other reasons people don't read comics. <laughs> I mean, I used to read, I used to have like a, um, a pull list, a, a, a number of comics I read from Marvel and DC, mm. uh, every week. And that was because I worked next to a comic shop. And if you don't have a comic shop that is in Mm. walking distance and very easy accessible, like, people seem to be confused at the fact that Marvel movies can make billions, but a slightly expensive comic that you can only get from specialized shops that don't, aren't in every town, Mm -hmm. um, aren't doing so well. And these comics are, very convoluted. It's very mm-hmm. hard to jump on board. You know, you go to a shop and say, I want a Spider-Man comic. And you have four different Spider-Man comics, all issue 36, mm-hmm. all set in different universes, all crossing over with different things. It's not an easy thing to get into. Yeah. Um, and I think, basically, as ever, the... <laughs> marginalized people are the ones getting blamed for big, bad business decisions from huge companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to mention it because I have been asked a few times why am I talking about it, but part of the reason is I don't know everything yeah. and I feel to talk about it would, 
be giving more spotlight to something I think is very stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, a few friends of mine are on this blacklist, and I do feel for them, because um, mm. it isn't all funny. It's like uh, they're sort of threatening to dox them and all that stuff. But yeah. ultimately, they will always have the moral high ground. Yeah. Um, and they're getting angry about, you know, Captain America punching Nazis. That's like a literal thing. Yeah, Those I are, saw uh, this. It's just like, how do you com- not get what Captain America is about? Yeah, there was a, for free comic book day, there was a com- uh, Captain America comic in which he um, sided with uh, Antifa um, and was like punching neo-Nazis. And people were like, ugh, I'm so annoyed that Captain America's taking a political stance. Just like... I'm like what? Um, <laughs> what? How? How? Uh, so anyway, it's stupid. Um, yeah. Let's move on to something Yeah, let's cooler. move on to a, a big organisation that, while we aren't always fans of their choices, have done a couple of cool, <laughs> exciting things that are coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, we had the uh, trailer drop this week for the Sensei season finale, and I am mm. very excited. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is a Sensei uh, love this, yeah, podcast. Yeah, no. Uh, Hamish and I have not been shy talking about our, our love and appreciation of Sensei. Uh, when it was cancelled, uh, we were among the many, many, many people uh, devastated because there felt like so much more to do. And Netflix saw that and heard that. And so the show is being given this uh, season finale to sort of wrap the story. It's two and, hours long. And it looks so freaking good, y'all. Like, it's as gorgeous looking as ever. Like, we know because of how it ended that we're going to have a lot of the the group together. And it's mm-hmm. just like, it's very good and it's very exciting. And it looked as colourful and dynamic as we've come to expect from Sensei. And it's and coming it out the on, like, Sensei June thing. 8th. June 8th? June it did 7th. the Sensei thing where I uh, don't really know what's going on, but I'm crying. <laughs> yep, sounds about right. Um. It's very exciting. Let me I, I'm, check what the date is on that. I know it's June. I am. Um, it's it's just frustrating. I don't mind if shows get cancelled. It's frustrating if they don't get an ending. June eighth is when the finale will drop on Netflix. Cool. So I'm sure we'll talk about it in a later episode. Yes. Um. And then this is something that was announced a while ago, but the first picture came up. Um. It's very teasery. There's not much you can gather from the it's picture. It's gorgeous, but- though. Uh, yeah, so Shira, the what was, uh, what was originally um, a human spinoff for girls, uh, but was Ew, actually girls. pretty, kind of in many ways better than uh, He-Man, um, is getting rebooted by uh, Netflix, and its showrunner is Noelle Stevenson, who um, most people probably know better as Ginger Hayes from Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really cool seeing someone who made their fame by doing silly Lord of the Rings comics on mm-hmm. Tumblr. Um, she has a book called Nimona, and mm-hmm. she's one of the writers of Lumberjanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I'm sort of, even though I only know her in the loosest possible sense, mm-hmm. um, I just feel a lot of the kind of queer comic-y community is very um, uh, proud of her. Yeah. Um, Noel seems like really good people. Yeah. Um, for a while, I thought she hated me because <laughs> I said I didn't like Wicked mm. and then also said it, it's fan fiction. And then she 
pretty uh, fair enough responded saying just because it's fan fiction doesn't make it bad it's amazing and I was I was trying to make a point because mm. I was doing my own Wizard of Oz fan fiction and yeah. I was just annoyed when people corrected me on Elphaba's personality and I'm like she's just a kind of mm. an original character anyway I, I thought she hated me for a while but then um, I saw her at a signing and she said oh hey Mesh and even though I'm not on her radar ever mm. I felt more I, I when you think someone's mad at you and then you realise they don't actually think about you at all, it's actually quite a nice feeling. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, such a, there's a relief to that. It's yeah. Like, oh, thank everything. Um, but the reason we're mentioning it is that um, Noelle is uh, gay? Mm-hmm. I think I believe, she's... I believe so. I believe she identifies um, as a lesbian, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lesbian. And has said that she is explicitly not straight hell as a show yes. um it's also changed the same slightly it was princess of power it's now she-ra and the princesses of power Ooh. um and they released a cast photo and it's a, a lot of ladies. it's gonna be a lot of uh warrior ladies who love each other <laughs> oh no i say with the biggest possible grin on my face <laughs> um so that's something to look forward to so that's our news roundup um we're going to go, now we are going to briefly catch up, or well, maybe not so briefly, um, talk about some things that we have been actually consuming yes. um, this past week. Why don't you go first? Um, I have started watching, um, still on the, that Netflix train, I've started watching Lost in Space. I know it's been out a little while now, uh, but I was, I was fi- I needed to finish watching Voltron, amongst other mm-hmm. things. Um, but yeah, I've started watching it and I am enjoying it so very much the um the cast is fantastic the show is very female led with uh, Maureen Robinson it feels very sort of contemporary because obviously Lost in Space is a property that's been around for a very long time I've never seen the 1960s TV series my entire knowledge of that is from where it's been referenced in The Simpsons <laughs> hence yeah. my hooks are flailing wildly which is from the episode where with Marge's fear of flying amusingly enough <laughs> and I know the slightly awful movie from the 90s with Matt yeah. LeBlanc and Gary Oldman and William Hurt and Heather Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, but along comes this 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 season. And one, they made the robot hot, which, you know, <laughs> is important to discuss. <laughs> that is, that's a beefy robot boy with some thick thighs. It's very good. Mm. Uh, <laughs> he, got, he got the shape of water treatment. He did. And it is good. Um. But yeah, the writing I find is excellent. Like the first episode was so tense to watch. Like they got stakes right, but uh, it looks fantastic. Like for a TV show budget, that show looks very good. Mm. And um, yeah, they made the choice to have Dr. Smith played by a woman, but it's Dr. Smith not as you know them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's been played by Parker Posey and she's fantastic in the role. And the fact that they've made... um, Judy Robinson, um, a black woman as well. Uh, that they've 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 made this step, um, and it's just it's really great. And like the kids are all really engaging, and it feels like the kind of TV that is the sort of thing we we want. Uh, there hasn't been any sort of queer representation yet. I'm holding out hope. Hmm. I mean, I'm only four episodes into four out of ten. 
so it could still happen but I genuinely recommend it it's it's compelling writing it's good performances the, the robot looks really cool it's a not it's a CGI face but it's it's a it's a person in a costume and it's mm. fantastic looking so uh yeah do ch- I I would say check it out I'm I'm looking forward to sort of getting back to it I've just got a busy few days I've had to uh, put my watch on hold uh, I'm I'm it's on my list uh, as a gay man Parker Posey is one of my uh obviously it's one of my faves oh, I see. <laughs> uh she's amazing in Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> uh, let, let, um, let, let, let's quickly sidebar everyone is amazing in Josie and Pussycats yeah. um underrated such a good classic film. I saw Kate Leth talking about it on Twitter the other day it's like yes Kate yeah. knows the truth way the true way the truth that is Josie and the Pussycats uh, um, I also love her. I also love Parker Posey in um, Best in Show, mm-hmm. um, and she's just one of those people who I saw a lot in films in sort of the early noughties. And every time she shows up in something, she looks like she's having more fun than anybody else there. Well, she's always she's always very unhinged as it's, a performer. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, sh- I think um, it's Blade Three she's in, mm. and uh, yeah, she's 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 a, she's clearly having a good time in that. So. <laughs> Um, so I've consumed a couple of things that are Studio Ghibli adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, so Studio Ghibli, who make all of our favourite uh, emotional, magical, mm-hmm. uh, fairy tale anime movies, um, had closed down. Um, oh no, I'm going to get his name wrong. I'm such a bad fan. Um, uh, one Quick, second. Google it, Google it, Google it. Um, but basically, one of the co-founders of it uh, recently passed away, mm. um, which is very sad. He, uh, let me see. Oh, yeah. Uh, Asayo Takahata. Um, he directed... Uh, he He's known as directing the sad ones. He did Grave of the Fireflies, and mm-hmm. um, he did uh, one of my favourites, Tale of Princess Kaguya. Mm. Um as, and so essentially, uh, like people were very sad that Studio Ghibli was closed down, but basically the founders of it are quite old, want mm-hmm. to retire. I think Miyazaki has retired about five times in his life. Yeah. And then I actually, he, apparently he's um, making a Pippi Longstockings film at the moment. Ooh. Um, anyway, so a lot of these animators um, working at the studio had to find new jobs, and they set up their own studio, um, Studio Ponok. Mm-hmm. Um and they released their debut film, Mary and the Witch's Flower, which I saw um, at the, the cinema. Is that the one where you were the only one in there? Yep. <laughs> I had seen it sort of uh, a week. I mean, it's, it, it's these films don't get very mm. wide and very long releases. Um, I think I saw it on its last day in a, a cinema next to work. I just kind of snuck out at lunch to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um... And it was fine. Like, it was very beautiful. Um, I don't want to say it was, like, missing a Ghibli charm. I think that's kind of rude. But it it's kind of an adjustment period where it's so yeah. close to a Studio Ghibli film. But and not. then quite quite far away in other senses, yeah. Um, but, you know, Studio Ghibli films all have very different uh, tones and stuff and whatever. Mm. Um, but another thing I've been um, playing... Um, is a game called Nino Kuni 2, A Revenant Kingdom, um, which is on the PS4. I haven't played Nino Kuni 1, but both games um, 
are Jap- uh, JRPGs, mm-hmm. um, and they are very intentionally meant to be evoking a Studio Ghibli feeling. Yeah. So this new game has kind of cell shaded graphics or everything. A screenshot from it, you can be mistaken for thinking, is a bit of 2D animation. Um, but it's all 3D. Mm-hmm. And um, it has sort of the character designers from Studio Ghibli. Um, all the music's by Joe Hisashi, who did all of the good Ghibli scores. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very close to f- making it feel like a very extended movie. Um, cool. To a point, because... Then it does get quite video gamey, the plot of collecting various things. Sure. I've killed far more things than any character would in a Studio Ghibli film. <laughs> um, but it was really, really beautiful. And I, last time I played it, I was thinking, you know, it's almost that got that feeling, but it's not quite Studio Ghibli. Yeah. And then I got an airship and was flying around the place. And I thought, now it is. Now it's now Ghibli. Now I'm flying. Um, but yeah, it's really, 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 really fun. And... Japanese RPGs are a genre I love, but I never complete them because they're always so long. Yeah. Um, but I'm very near the end of this one, and oh, I'm congrats. very determined to finish it. Marvellous. Well, um, shall we have a quick tea break, and then we'll get on to some hardcore geeking out? Yeah, let's do it. I'll pop the kettle on. It's the middle section of the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I think it's the middle section of the show is one of our few Running absolutely gags. pure catchphrases where we didn't plan it. But it's just <laughs> what you say every time. Um, yes. Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope that this sort of slightly tw- new tweak to the format is pleasing to your ear holes. Yeah, and I think these episodes might end up being a little longer than they were before because we have so much to talk about now. Mm, um, we shall but thank you for thank you also for being patient, for understanding. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you, our listeners. Yeah. Um, um, as always, if it'd be great if you could rate, review, subscribe, share the show with uh, with a friend. Yeah, I, I'm 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 very grateful for all that stuff. Yeah. Um. I have a quick um, other podcast to plug. <gasps> I have a, <laughs> I have plugged it before, but now I've been a guest on it. Um, so my two brothers do a podcast called Games on Film, where they review video game movies. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the greatest genres Truly. of <laughs> Truly. cinema. Um, a lot of Mila Jovovich, <laughs> um, who we love. Uh, and they just did an episode on Pokemon, the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back. Um, and they got me on as a guest as their Pokedextrous, um, Mm -hmm. contact. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you want to listen to that and send me emails because I get certain things wrong about Pokemon stats or whatever, uh, please do so. Uh, it's games on film. Um, did you want to talk about podcast news for you? Uh, yes, just a, another reminder that uh, there will be consequences. The actual play podcast uh, that has been in the works should be going live on June 6th. So two days before the Sensate season finale. <laughs> no, wait, June 9th, I, the day after. I'm terrible. It's 6-9. I have to nine. get that um, It's 6-9 because I, I, ch- I chose that date on purpose. 
I have to get that podcast artwork done, don't I? You really do. So uh, it's just there's so many characters. I'm not sure what to do. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But um, that will hopefully be hitting the airways. It's probably not going to go onto iTunes on the um the ninth of June yeah. because of the iTunes checking progress. But the first episode will debut in various places on uh, on the ninth of June. Um, and before Hamish talks about his very legitimate concerns and business with the, the <laughs> other thing he wants to plug, it is. It's genuine and real and serious. I want to talk about the the stupid D&D shit I do online. Um, Natural Ruckus is a tabletop collective, though mostly we play D&D. Mm -hmm. We hopefully do other things. Um, the original sort of scope of the project has shifted, but um, at the moment we're doing a D&D campaign, a, a short-term one, every other Friday, um, set in the Eberron setting. But uh, hopefully soon we are going to be starting um, a high-level heroes campaign. We're starting at level 15 and going mm -hmm. up. So it's sort of going to be like bigger monsters, bigger threats, hopefully some fun political intrigue. I'm going to be playing a tiefling arcane trickster called Curiosity, who's a mixture of Tank Girl and Dirk Gently. And I'm very excited about it. But um, that's going to be going out soon. But if you can't watch us live on Twitch, we do have a YouTube archive. And you can tune into that and... Uh, it's usually worth a giggle. Cool. I, I I haven't checked that out yet, but I really should. Being a bad friend. That's fine. I um, forgive you. <laughs> um, so if you're listening to this on the day of release, um, this weekend, the 20-whatevers of May 5th, 6th... It starts on the 25th, usually, yeah. Um, is London MCM Comic Con. Um, Jade unfortunately won't be there. I, I promised my table, uh, helping space to another, um, which I'm still sorry about. Uh, but, um, it's a, it's a good show. Um, it, uh, has lots of stuff and I will be there selling Pantheon and Deadendia slightly before its official release. Ooh. Um, and signing whatever's and come say hello to me, uh, frequent supporter of the podcast BC Beverages is also there. Mm -hmm. Um if you want to get some tea or try out some stuff and then understand what we've been talking about for 50 episodes. Yep. Um and uh, more importantly I guess to me because it's all about me uh is uh, me. <laughs> on <Me>. June <laughs> on Friday June the 1st um is the actual official launch of my book Dead Endia the Watcher's Test. It's an adaptation I like to say of mm -hmm. my webcomic um, but it's the same story. Um, it's very, very queer. Uh, Jade is in it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, you, uh, have a slightly reduced, but role, but at least you're alive hey. in this new one. Um, but, uh, that goes on sale. And on June the 1st, we are doing a book launch at Orbital Comics in Leicester Square. Um, it's, I think it starts at about uh, six or seven um, is when I'm doing a signing and then once that's done we do a thing called a director's commentary where we have a projector and I'll go through I think the first chapter of the book and Ooh. talk about influences and blah 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 and there's also a Q&A I actually uh, when I said that I met Noelle Stevenson it was because I went to hers uh, director's mm. commentary of Lumberjanes cool. um, and so it's really really fun and um I am looking forward to that. So if you can come on, there is a Facebook event page. I might post it somewhere yeah, on our Twitter or something. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's all very exciting. And I am doing a tour of Travelling Man in the North and doing some other things, but I'll talk about that when it's relevant. 
Okay. Shall we get back to our yeah. geeking out? Yeah, finish your beverage and let's get back to it. So. I have been drinking the cold, cold milk of victory because <laughs> <laughs> this week has been the 10th anniversary of my favourite film, Speed Racer, hmm. uh, by the Wachowskis, who we mentioned Sensei earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning it is that uh, it's... It's never been despised. It's never. It was never hated. Yeah. Um, but I do think it was slightly before its time by literally just like a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, it was before the kind of 3D movie boom and before sort of... I always think of um, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek film as being a film where we kind of moved away from dark, gritty, and more towards, you know, colour can be fun. Yeah. Um, and Speed Racer just, I think, got lumped in with a lot of the sort of Spy Kids films, which I'm not trying to deride, but it's a slightly confusing film for a lot of people. But yeah. on the 10th anniversary, I realised um, how beloved it is and that it is really a cult film now. Mm. Um and I saw a lot of articles from people talking about how, no, 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 it's not a so bad, it's good kind of film. It's a legitimate, mm-hmm. like, good film. So. Yeah. Um, I saw a, a film film critic Hulk talking about it, mm. who's a, a critic I really enjoy the work of. Um, there are, he seems like a really cool bloke, like the way he talks yeah. about things. Um, I think he wrote an article. Uh, but my relationship with Speed Racer comes entirely through Hamish. Like, it was a film that didn't even register on my radar, and Hamish and I became friends, and we were doing a cultural exchange, as friends do. Mm. And he was like, okay, this is my favourite movie. <laughs> and I was like, okay, and I watched it. And it, as is the way whenever you share something dear to you, you do spend half of the time looking at the other person to check. <laughs> to just like, are they uh, are they enjoying it? And I had a really fun time watching the film. I also enjoyed watching Hamish be very emotional about the movie. Uh, yeah, I cry a lot. I mean, you you uh, you showed me Tank Girl and a few, a few of your favourite films. So you know the feeling of mm. sort of beloving something that often hasn't received such a warm reception from the, the, the film yeah. community. I mean, a lot of people have said stuff much more concisely that I'm, than I could or would, but it the, the topics that it explores, maybe it doesn't explore them in the most nuanced fashion, but I don't think that's to the film's the opposite of... Oh, I can't think of the word. Are you, it's, it's are you talking about Speed thing. Racer or Tank I'm, Girl? I'm still talking about Speed... I'm talking about Speed Racer. Okay. We're talking about Speed okay. Racer here. Um... <laughs> Which, detriment, there we go. Yeah. Detriment, there's the word. Um, the, the way it tackles things like family and, like, it's interesting that something that the Wachowskis come to time and time again is sort of like the becoming of who you are meant to be. Mm-hmm. You see it in The Matrix, you see it in Speed Racer, you see it in Jupiter Ascending, you see it in Sensei. It's sort of like, it's sort of, moving towards the you you are meant to be or destined to be Mm. and that's that's really cool and really powerful and like speed racer might you might at first glance might just think okay that's a riot of color and it hurts my eyeballs but it's (laughs) visually it's so interesting it's Mm. a lot but i really liked it like i think it's one of those things where you can pause and go okay how much there is so much going on here and i want to take it all in (laughs) 
And I think yeah. it's it's if you haven't seen Speed Racer, you should watch it. Like, try not to go in with any expectations of what kind of film you're expecting it to be. The fact that it followed the Matrix movies from the Wachowskis when they were known for those films and before that Bound, like, mm. I can understand why people were like, okay, whoa, because it was such a 180 from what we had expected to for the, from them as, as creators, even though arguably some of the same themes are there. Yeah, I mean, I like Speed Racer for a lot of reasons. I think some people think I just like it for the visuals, and the visuals are amazing. I mean, they're very stylized. A lot of the time, it's not trying to look realistic. Yes. It's trying to convey a feeling. Mm. Um, and I think early on, there's a couple of shots which are intentionally meant to be, like, kind of aggressively in your face of so mm. odd-looking. But quite soon, it kind of mellows um in your brain at least it still becomes it's still very visually interesting i think it has one of the most perfectly constructed opening 10 minutes to a film ever Mm -hmm. it the film is very non-linear yeah um and it tells you the sort of basically the film starts with speed racing a race but during this race it kind of flashes backwards and forwards to make the what seems like just a race to become incredibly emotional. Mm. And especially if you watched it a few times and you get to love the characters, I'm just like sobbing constantly. Mm. Um, and that's kind of like, I actually think it's just very well written and mm. very well acted. All the actors are committed. They know exactly what, what film to do. They, and they know what the film is like. Yeah. Like no one's like, Certain characters are kind of winking at the camera mm. and that's right for their character. But so many characters are, so many actors are taking it so seriously. Uh, let, let, um, let me just say, if you're a fan of Roger Allen being all like <laughs> scene-chewing villainry, he, he like, he brings his A-plus game. You have not, yeah, they, this is this is like peak Roger Allen mm-hmm. evil villainy stuff. And he is so good. He is clearly having a really fun time of it. He also, thought he John... was good in V for Vendetta. <laughs> no, nothing on Speed Racer. Um, and John Goodman and um, Susan Sarandon are like mm. just the perfect parents. They Matthew Fox like, has never been better. Oh, Matthew Fox is doing the best Batman that's ever been on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just everything's. I can see its faults. Yes, it's not, but to say not it's a in, perfect movie. But well, like. I have watched it so many times that I no longer see its faults. Um, I love it. Like, there's things I probably would change. Mm. But that's more because I flinch a bit now when I show it to people. But I'm I'm happy with all of it. Yeah. Um, I just... I, we talk a lot about found family feelings. And it's a film that's very good for, like... Family. Getting fa- yeah, like, getting found family feelings from blood family, in a way. Yeah. It's, um... There's... A, for those that haven't seen it, I'm, I'm, I won't spoil it, but the thing that breaks my heart in the film is mostly uh, Pop's racer's arc. Mm. <laughs> um, there's a scene sort of towards the end of the film where he's saying to Speed Racer, who that is his actual name, um, Speed Racer's going off and Pop's just like says, if you walk out of that door, just know you can always come back. Mm. And it's just so sweet. I love... <sighs> I don't know. I, I lean much more heavily to like complicated family relationships mm-hmm. when I'm writing. Yeah. But I actually find that seeing 
like quote unquote perfect families is actually quite kind of healing <laughs> yeah, to watch. Anyway, watch Speed Racer. Um, I'm not going to geek out about anything specifically because I was enjoying getting on the Speed Racer train, as it mm-hmm. were. But I, I thought for interest, for shits and giggles, I thought I would see what else came out in 2008 movie wise, and I was like, "Holy shit, that was a really good year for film!" Like. Mm-hmm. As you, as people are probably aware, the Marvel Cinematic Universe began in 2008 with Iron Man, which still stands up. While it might not be the strongest movie in the franchise, it's yeah. still an amazing film. The Dark Knight came out that year, which I know is so many people's favourite movie. I can take or leave Christopher Nolan movies, generally speaking, but... Um, Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight is fantastic and it's again a very solid movie. The films though that I'm going to highlight that came out this year <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. Yes. Cuz Kung Fu Panda is amazing. Wally, which is probably my second favorite Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. It's stunning and it's beautiful and it makes me cry and I love it so. And Hellboy 2, which is um, everyone who listens to the show on the regular knows how much I enjoy Guillermo del Toro movies. And when I think about Hellboy 2, it sort of informs and chimes with so many of my sensibilities about fantasy and urban fantasy. And I think mm. at that point in my life, um, 2008, it was the year after I'd left, I'd graduated university. And so I was sort of figuring a lot of stuff out about myself. And I think a lot of my sensibilities um, with what I like sort of really kind of coalesced that year and yeah like I tried to sort of engage more critically with what I was watching and I think that 2008 was a good year for that to happen yeah absolutely so like because there are some years you think oh well there wasn't really anything that really struck me that year that year if we'd been doing if we'd been doing if if Hamish and I knew each other in 2008 Don't tell me how old you were in 2008, please, because um, then I will cry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we would have had like a new movie to talk about, like ev- ev- like almost every week. It was mm. it was a really good year for cinema, quite frankly. Yeah, I love all those films. I I think it's interesting thinking how The Dark Knight, Iron Man, and Hellboy Two came out, and how superhero films. That's mm. like. I remember actually seeing Iron Man and very naively coming out of it thinking, you know, I liked it, but that can't be, that has to be the last superhero film they make. They can't keep making these. <laughs> Little did I know. Um, but also, I mean, I think The Incredible Hulk also came out that did, year. It did, yes. Um, and just how the kind of DC Marvel film landscape has really changed. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, The Dark Knight... Everyone thought that's going to change superhero cinema forever, but ironically, it was Iron Man that was the one that did that. Mm. Um, and I, the Kung Fu Panda trilogy, I believe, is a perfect trilogy. <laughs> I still need to see Kung Fu Panda three, yo. Kung Fu Panda three is great. My my gripe with it is it would be a perfect trilogy if that felt like an ending. But I think DreamWorks wants to make Kung Fu Panda films for the rest of their life. Um, Fair, but. It, it's it Kung Fu Panda Three is honestly one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. It's it's mm. color and it's just beautiful. It's and got I, amazing music as well. And I will say that about Hellboy Two. Um, if you've never watched Hellboy Two, you don't need to have seen Hellboy, though it is a fun watch. Mm-hmm. It is Gilmo. He's very Gilmo. Um, 
and just like the production design on Hellboy 2 is art. It is stunning and it pushes so many of my buttons for things I like narratively. You should you should watch that movie. If only like the scene with they where they fight the elemental is cinematically amazing, but also so potent, like emotionally. Mm. Watch the movie. It's, it's we're very, very good. I think we're very visual consumers. We like when films mm. do something very interesting visually. Yeah. Um and we appreciate craft and yes. a lot of the uh in Hellboy too, there's so many like costume design and yeah. stuff that's just beautiful to look at. Mm. And I think I, like talking about interesting things on film, that's why Wally is so dear to me as a film because so mm. much of that film is silent. Like two thirds of that movie is basically a silent movie. Is is Wally? Like we don't meet I, um, the humans till so late in that in that film. But the the scene of Wally and Eve dancing in space with the fire extinguisher mm. is it I, I get a little bit choked up just thinking about it it's just like this pure expression of joy that i think is un, is unique in in like the history of film canon like there's something so unique and beautiful and heartfelt about that that for me is like some of pixar at its finest i wrote a uh an essay at Animation University about the sound design and Wally. Yeah. Um, can't remember any of it. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think. I mean, I guess if I was writing a retrospective uh, essay about Wally in at uni, a film that came out when you just had left uni, it's kind of. I wasn't that far behind. I think I was. Um, I think I was eighteen. Year? Yeah, I was going to say your first year. Yeah. Um, so, shall we get on to some, a couple of questions? Let's. Um, to round up the end of the episode. Let's In no do box, that. box, pop corner. Oh man, you <laughs> left off a fun question we got. I'm going to go over to the Facebook group so I can look at it. Depending on how we um, go, because it was a fun question. I've got, I've got some questions here on the... Oh no, uh, I know. Those are, there's, it's depending how the time goes. We'll start with the ones that you've got there. Carry on. Okay. <laughs> um, do you want to read out the first one? Sure, sure. I just went over to another tab. Uh, question from Rowan was, um, if money or self-consciousness wasn't an issue, what kind of fashion choices aesthetic would you cultivate? Now, this is a very fun question. Um, <laughs> Hamish, do you want to take a stab at it first? Um, yeah, I guess I would... Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of Taika Waititi's whole aesthetic. Um I follow a Twitter account called Taika uh, YTT Fashion, um, and he actually retweeted something from it, saying, "Even I wish I looked this good." <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I love so. Uh, I love kind of. Actually, this kind of ties into something else. Um, there's been a kind of uh, Twitter meme. Um, some kind of body shaming gay guy on oh, Twitter. Oh, the thing about 32 inch waist. Yeah, he said if you have more than a 32 inch waist uh, guys don't wear any florals, which is kind of a weird specific thing. Wow. Um, led to a lot of um, 
thick boys <laughs> uh, posting pictures of their florals, which I appreciated a lot. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love summary. Like when in Animal Crossing and other games where I get to dress up my characters, I'm always like mm-hmm. in shorts and florals and I always want to see more kind of... I guess this is completely interesting. If I could do anything, mm. I mean, half of me wants to be Met Gala, half of me just wants to look like a kind of full cool beach guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Beach Gala. <laughs> Maybe I want to look like if the Met Gala's theme was uh, Hawaiian uh, beach party. I don't know. Nice. Um for me and this is more of a a money thing more than anything and this is an aesthetic I occasionally manage to glance on a little and it always makes me really happy it's I do want to look like an out of place time traveller quite frankly (laughs) Uh, if I had the money and the aesthetic on my I care about what I look days I would be wearing shorts and a fun pair of boots like some kind of clunky boot with brightly coloured tights and then the top half would be like a fitted waistcoat with like a little cravat or shirt and I would have a big floppy coat and I Hmm. would definitely want to be running up to people going, what year is this? Then there's still (laughs) time! Just uh, to stroll off down the street. I basically want to look like the Doctor. What do you think of, I think we've talked about it, what do you think of Jodie Whittaker's outfit? I love Jodie Whittaker's outfit. It's so good. It's pretty cool, isn't it? It's great. um, They're being a lot better at hiding a... Spoilers and stuff, but I did see a little a little clip of um, on set filming Ooh. of her just like kicking open the TARDIS doors and going like "Get in first time" as she like has landed in the right place. Nice and uh, nice. She's nice. also added a bum bag to the <gasps> outfit as well. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> Which um, cosplayers are very happy about. Yeah, always good to have a cosplay that has built-in pockets and or bags. And it's definitely bigger on the inside. Yeah. I think that's a good aesthetic, a uh, mm. out-of-place time traveller. Yeah, but also, generally speaking, I do kind of like... Um, I, I, I'm sort of... Ideally, I would like to look like a more of a femme-presenting guy, but my anatomy kind of doesn't allow for that. Mm. So, but as long... I, I genuinely do want to look like the sort of person aesthetically where middle-class white people look at me and go... Ooh, mm, and maybe put their children on the other side of them. That's the kind of vibe <laughs> I want to give off. So visibly, you know, visibly queer and possibly a bad influence for the youth. Um. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> goals. Um. I do like the idea of like a, 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 an eight-year-old looking at me and going, that's such a cool looking person. And their parents yeah. are like, no, 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 Timmy, look away, look away. That, 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 that's a fun thought, yeah. Um, Val on the Facebook group asked a couple of quick fire ones and a longer one. So, favourite queer musician or band? I am the worst at answering questions about music, quite frankly, um, because I don't listen to enough of it. Um, big fan of Queen. Um, that's valid. Uh, big fan of Janelle, um, mm-hmm. who we have discussed. Uh, but... Yeah, I like. I I wouldn't necessarily go and hold up anyone and go. This this is my my queer music of choice because I listen to a lot of different stuff. So, but there are definitely there are better people to ask this question of. <laughs> but uh, Fred, um, Freddie Freddie will always have a place in my heart for sure. You? Yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll mention Janelle again as uh, she came out last episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
And uh, uh, I also love Goldfrap, who... Um, oh, man, I haven't thought about Goldfrap in years. Yeah, but she, it's very influential to me and how, uh, you know, some albums are kind of weird, folky trips and some of them are full-on neon 80s pop. Mm-hmm. Um, I like her a lot. Um, and uh, someone I really like, John Grant, mm-hmm. is um, a big, sad, gay bear who sings about... <laughs> how sad he is and <laughs> wants to wants to live on an Icelandic island somewhere and mm-hmm. uh, I always try and see him whenever he performs awesome. um, next question is cats or lizards I don't think you've spent a lot of time around cats if you don't think cats are basically lizards with fur on top <laughs> quite frankly um, I have to choose cats because I live with cats and I love them but I genuinely do think cats and lizards are not that different no and I will be choosing lizards Basically the same Brand. point. They're not very, they're not very different. But I do crocodiles are my favourite animal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, although I believe they are reptiles, and not technically lizards. Oh. Sorry to um actually that. Um, and um, then finally, yourself, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then finally, this year will be my first Pride season that I can actually go to. I'm not sure if I feel too queer for Pride or not queer enough for Pride. A reference to a previous episode of ours. Mm-hmm. And they're just asking, should you go to Pride? Because um, we did a Pride episode, and we were very com- uh, mm. back and forth about this all, and like, whatever, and whatever, whatever, but like, end of the day, should someone go? If you want to go, go. If you mm-hmm. feel a kinship with the queer community that speaks to you, and you want to go to Pride, go to Pride. I feel like you wouldn't be asking the question unless you did want to. Yeah. But... Even though we do strive to be perfectly mm-hmm. unproblematic <laughs> we ain't. beings, there is no ethical doing anything in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, you only get one life, yeah. and you should do things that you want to do. Yeah. but At least once. Yeah. And I, I'm seeing a lot of discussion on, on Twitter at the moment about visibly being queer and stuff like that. But as we talked about in our Not Queer Enough episode, and should I identify as part of that community, if the community speaks to you, then yes. Mm. Yeah. Don't feel pressured to go to Pride no. if you don't want to. Like Ham- Hamish you... and I have discussed our own issues for going to Pride. Mm. So, But if you want to go, you feel able to go, go. Have fun. Yeah. We hope you have fun. So I guess that's it. Should we, yeah, should we should we should we should we we'll we if you don't we didn't answer your question then we'll um come back to it in a future episode. Mm-hmm. Um I think for the time being, um I felt this episode went all right structure wise. Um so I think for the time being we'll be doing more episodes of this. So just keep sending in questions. Um don't need to be related to any topic we're doing. Mm-hmm. You can suggest things you want us to talk about or mm-hmm. send us links to things yes, for yes, our yes. news section. Uh-huh. Um and if you'd like to do so, uh send them to boxnotincluded at gmail.com at us on Twitter at Box Not Included. Send us a Tumblr ask at Box Not Included. Mm-hmm. And we have a Facebook discussion group called Box Not Included. We're very um, consistent. Yeah. And the Facebook group is great, even mm-hmm. if Facebook isn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, or you can talk to us directly. I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at Jadoxford Rose. And finally, we want to thank Graham Waller, Audio Overlord, Master of the Soundways, for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. But until next time. I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anybody box you in. 